But there's nothing like being in person and experiencing the presence of God and the presence of, of God's people and seeing the, the smiles on people's faces. You can't hug someone virtually. Uh, you can put an emoji on your, uh, your, your uh, comment section. But there's something about a high five, a fist bump, a, a handshake, uh, a hug, uh, and just experiencing the presence of God. And, uh, you know, the, the, this month we're working, studying about missions and how we do missions here at Calvary Raleigh Church. And our theme for the month of October is called Declare the Name. We're talking about, as a church that's on mission to take the gospel to, to the ends of the earth, it requires each and every one to engage in the process. Our mission is together we lead and create disciples of Jesus. What does that look like in the context of Raleigh, North Carolina? We are living in one of the fastest growing cities, one of the fastest growing counties in the nation. And uh, you only have to drive around here. You don't even have to drive at rush hour. You can drive any hour. I mean, I, t I turned out of the church parking lot the other day at 3 o'clock. And traffic was backed all the way up to the S-curve uh, past Lake Wheeler Road. And uh, you have to decide, do I have enough time to get across the intersection? Do I have enough time to, to go there? Because... You know, the traffic backs up uh, on a Friday. I had to go to a wedding rehearsal, the, a wedding I'm doing this afternoon. It was in Burlington. I'm like, I look up on my thing on a Thursday night, and it says it's an hour and 15 minutes to my location. I'm like, all right, I've got this thing in the bag. And I was like, it starts at 530, and uh, I'll leave, uh, you know, around 4 o'clock, and I'll be there in, in plenty of time. And uh, I also, right before I got ready to walk out the door, I was leaving. It was like 3.15. I was like, I'm going to get on the road early. And then I looked, and it was 5 o'clock was the start time, not 5.30. And as soon as I got on 40, which is the way that my maps was taking me, it was completely stopped. Every single lane on both sides of 40 backed up. And I'm sitting here thinking, it's not even officially, you know, rush hour traffic. And it's it was a Friday afternoon. Everybody was on 40. We had a party out there with the thousands of people that we don't know. And uh, anyway, you sit there and you're thinking, God's bringing so many people to our doorstep. How are we going to minister to them? How are we going to reach them with the gospel? How are we create disciples of Jesus? Our mission is born out of the great commission given to us by Christ right before he ascended back to uh, earth, uh, back to, from the earth to heaven. And Matthew 28, it says in verse 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of a few select nations, of, a, of people that are just like us, that, have the, that speak English, that have the same skin tone that you have, uh, or have the same you know, interest that you have. And, you know, uh, we have neighbors, a couple neighbors on the street leading into our, our house, and uh, one just sold, a new family moved in, another one's on the market, and uh, there's actually two more on the market, and my son said, man, I hope somebody with a middle school age boy moves in. I'm like, there are 14 boys and on any given day at our house. How many more kids do you need to play with? I mean, how many more people can we possibly provide snacks and water bottles for at our house? But it says, go therefore and make disciples of not some nations, some people, some areas of the world, all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you to do. And behold, I am with you always 
to the end of the age. If you receive one of these as you came in this morning, turn over towards the back of the book, and there's a section on prayer. Uh, week one, October 1st, there's an, a section for you to make notes from the message today. I want you to take notes and keep this in your Bible. Bring it back next Sunday. Bring it back the following Sunday. Bring it back the next Sunday. Because as we go through this, you're going to have an opportunity for the Holy Spirit of God to speak to you. I want you to remember what he taught you today. I want you to remember what he teaches you next Sunday and the following weeks. On October 22nd, we have Pastor Elijah Mora from Romania. We just were there last month serving with, or I said last month, it's October 1st today. Two months ago in August, ministering alongside of them. The mission of the church drives everything we do as a body. For the youngest age in the nursery this morning, they're teaching them that Jesus Christ loves them. As they get older, the stories get more in-depth. Matt was talking about this morning during our, our, our volunteer uh, prayer time, and he was like, I remember as a child growing up, and he said they had those flannel boards, and we called them a, a flannel graph board. Anybody remember those back in the day in Sunday school? And they would have this big felt board on the wall, and if they would go up, they would put a picture of Moses and the burning bush. Or they had, you know, Moses in the bulrushes when he was a baby. And they had all these pictures depicting the life of Christ, the miracles of Christ, the, the stories of God's word. And, and so you study those things. How are people going to hear the gospel? It's going to be through the local church impacting our city with the gospel. So from the youngest child to all of the classes in the nursery age, they're teaching the gospel on their level. Uh, and kids sitting next door, they're teaching the gospel. They're acting out things. They're, sometimes they dress up. Sometimes they do crafts. Sometimes they do games. But the aids in the learning. But folks, each one of those volunteers that are serving in there are helping point them toward a relationship with Jesus. From the youngest child in the nursery to the oldest member of our church, we're seeking to create, create disciples of Jesus. The purpose of kids' ministry, student ministry, our preschool that meets Monday through Friday, young adults, senior adults, all of our small groups is to make disciples of Jesus. Our vision this morning is to declare the name of Jesus in the triangle in the world. How are we doing at fulfilling that mission? How are we doing at fulfilling that vision? This morning, I want to tell you, 422 active members. Now, sometimes people say, how many members do you have at the church? When we talk about active, serving, people that are plugged in, 422 active attending members this morning. In nine months of 2023, we welcomed 44 new members. Collectively, with all of the family members, around 75 new people were added to the church uh, this year alone. 21 people have been saved, and 23, including 10 from last Sunday, have been baptized in the first nine months of this year. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. <laughs> Woo! There are churches that don't see one person baptized or saved in the course of a year. In fact, my aunt said a number of years ago, she said, I can't remember we'd had five people baptized. She said, I don't remember the last time we had five people baptized in our church. And Folks, the reality is, is a church where the Holy Spirit of God is at work, you're going to see people added to the church regularly, as Acts 2 says, such as should be saved. It should be a, a, an ongoing process as we're living on mission. So get excited. 
Don't sit back and be a spectator. Get some skin in the game. Someone came up to me last Sunday at our cookout and said, Pastor, I'm dusting off my cleats today. I'm getting back in the game. And folks, that should be the desire of each of us is I'm not going to sit back and let the pastors, the staff, the, the, the officers do all the work. I want to engage. I want to get involved in the work of the church and, and do the work of the ministry, allowing the Holy Spirit to take us and use us as a part of his process of building his church. Imagine what would happen if 422 people would all engage in making disciples. What would this room look like one year from today? At this point in 2024, what would it look like if each of us were intentional in inviting in witnessing, in sharing our faith and loving on our neighbor, loving on our, our co-workers, loving on our family and inviting them to church. Folks, what would happen if we started looking at Christmas is a couple months away, two, two and a half, three months away. What if we started looking and said, who is it I'm going to bring with me on Christmas to church? Who is it that I'm going to invite? And we started praying fervently now that God would soften their heart when the invitation is given to bring them to church, they would welcome it with open arms when the gospel would be presented in such a way that they would have nothing holding them back, that they would clearly understand, repent of their sin, and turn to the Savior. Our vision and mission are clear. Today, I want to challenge us as we begin our missions month. What God wants to do in our lives, church, let's don't hold it back. Let's don't hold back the movement of the Holy Spirit. A little more than 200 years ago, Adoniram and Ann Judson boarded a ship and set sail for India on a journey that would eventually lead them to Burma, which is modern-day Myanmar. Along with William Carey, the Judsons are considered pioneers in the modern missions movement. These Baptist missionaries were and continue to be used by God in some extraordinary ways for the cause of global missions. However, their journey looked anything but successful on the outside. The intense suffering of the Judsons endured on the mission field was foreshadowed by a letter written by Adoniram to Anne's father, his wife-to-be, asking for permission to marry his daughter. The following is Adoniram's candid request. He says, I have now to ask, imagine some of you men are uh, possibly going to propose in, in the next few months or maybe the next few years uh, to your future spouse. Imagine uh, asking or using this as your lead-in to asking your future father-in-law if you can marry his daughter. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and suffering of missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure, to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and to distress, uh, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who has left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness 
brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. I'm a 21-year-old daughter. As I was preparing the sermon and, and reading this illustration this week, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, Bobby, I don't know. You've got it. Uh, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you're sitting here thinking, could I possibly say yes to a request of someone who's going to take my child to the far quarters of the world to some of the most horrendous conditions in order that they might preach the gospel knowing that most likely I will never see her or him I've heard my dad say many times, he said, I'd rather my child live on the far opposite side of the world in the middle and the center of God's will for their life than living next door out of God's will. Are you grasping that? Because the reality is that sometimes as a parent, we can be selfish and say, God, I want, my I want you to call people to missions. God, I want you to do something in, in the life of our church, but... Don't call me. Don't call my children. Call the pastor's kids. I mean, they signed up for this. I mean, you call the, the missionary's kids. I mean, they know what that's like. I mean, but God knows, not my child. I mean, if you could just keep your hands off of my kids and, and let them stay in my 27603 zip code. I mean, could they live in the 27539 or could they live in the, the Raleigh or the, or, or the Chapel Hill or... I mean, what, whatever the city, if they could stay in the triangle, you know, where I could see my grandkids grow up. I mean, Pastor, uh, that would be ideal. And I'll pray that he calls your kids to the mission field. Gratefully, Ann's dad said yes. The couple was married, and a year later, they set sail. Ann's dad would never see his daughter and son-in-law again. In fact, she would lose her life sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who had never heard the good news. But as a result of the Judson's service, today there are nearly 4,000 churches preaching the gospel in Myanmar due to the effects of their ministry and what God did through them in that region of the world. Their story seems unusual to the American mindset, yet it should be the norm in light of our text this morning. As we're going to jump into the Word of God, the world needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They need to know that He can and will forgive them of their sins. I invite you to look at Matthew chapter 9 for our text this morning. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. It will be on the screen if you don't have a copy of God's Word in your lap. It says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, look at this phrase. He says, he had what church? Compassion. Let's say it together. He had what church? Compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are what, church? Few. 
Therefore, the word I want us to focus on this morning is pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This morning I talked to one of our missionaries on the field. You know what they ask us to do? Pray. They're struggling. We have no idea. No clue what the majority of them face on a daily basis. The pressure, the outside forces, the demonic oppression that they face. And they said, Pastor, would you please pray? We need some direction. We need some wisdom. We need God to open doors and make a way. And, and folks, there's nothing better we could do. And so he's saying, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest that he would send out laborers into his harvest. Church, let's do that right now. Can we pray for our missionaries? We have flags all around the building. But folks, we have missionaries that are serving all around the world that we have an opportunity and privilege to pray for this morning. Let's do that right now. Holy Fa Father, would you meet with us this morning? Would your Holy Spirit minister to our hearts during the month of October as we are exploring what it means to declare the name and the triangle in the world? God, give us a greater picture of the world that's dying without Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to see the heart of compassion that you had for the lost of the, of the city and of the world. And God, would you stir our hearts this morning? God, may we leave here completely changed and different as we understand, Lord, what you came to accomplish and what you left us here to do until you return. God, I pray for our missionaries and specifically for one I talked to this morning that was just struggling. God, would you give them wisdom? God, would you be their, their supply? Would you meet their need this morning? God, would you encourage their heart? And help them to understand and know that you are on your throne. You're sovereign. You're holy. You're just. And God, your plan is always perfect. Your ways are higher than our ways. God, would you encourage them? Would you lift their spirits? Lord, as I was, I talked to another missionary this morning. And, and they were saying, Pastor, I just baptized a, a new member or a new convert in our church this morning. God, we rejoice. God, we praise you for what you're doing. Not only here in the triangle and and, and 21 saved and 23 baptized this year. And Lord, 44 brand new members to the church. God, would you encourage each of those members? God, would you encourage the heart of this church to declare the name of Jesus? God, help us to look at our, our job as a mission field, as our neighborhood as, as a mission field. God, as our, our city is a place that you've planted each one of us with the opportunity and privilege to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Give us a greater passion. Help us to pray for laborers in the harvest. God, we give you all the praise and honor and glory for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people said, this morning we must be moved with compassion. Church, we must be moved. We must have the heart of Christ when it comes to seeing those around us. During the entirety of Christ's earthly ministry, 
Everything he did pointed to the day where he would lay down his life on the cross of Calvary. So as Christ is going from city to city, village to village, synagogue to synagogue, everything he did was pointing toward, forward, to the day he would lay down his life on the cross of Calvary. As he was ministering to his disciples, he was using every opportunity to train them, to equip them, to, to pour into their lives because he knew, hey, one day I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to rise again and some days later I'm going to ascend back to heaven uh, to the right hand of the Father and I'm leaving these men, these people I've been training, my disciples, to carry on the work of the mission of the church. So we must be moved with compassion. This was the ultimate act of compassion. Christ provided, though, under shepherds, disciples, followers of Jesus, he, he, to, to carry forth the, and minister to the flock. The word of compassion in verse 36 in the Greek literally means to feel in the viscera or the bowels. It hits at the very core of our being. If you're going to declare the name of Jesus in the triangle of the world, we must have compassion on the lost condition of our city. We must have compassion. We must see the, the souls around us that are living in darkness and have compassion on their soul. Keep in mind, Christ is allowing them to kind of peel back the curtain to his heart and see the compassion that he had for the lost. When he would travel and, and go from city to city and travel, he was doing so because he saw the needs of the lost of those cities and desired to, to invest in them. This was long before Matthew 28. Here in Matthew chapter 9, he's allowing us to see his heart, the, 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 what was motivating him, what moved him. And we must be moved with compassion to reach the lost. We must see the world through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of Jesus Christ, and allow us to see the world that will spend all of the eternity in hell apart from a relationship with Jesus. Apart from a personal relationship with Jesus, they will be eternally separated from Christ. Look at verse 35. He tells us Christ went from city to city, preaching in the synagogue, and he saw that they were harassed. They were helpless, like sheep wandering around without a shepherd. Folks, the, the term, when we're referred to as sheep, it's not a compliment. Sheep are pretty dumb uh, characters. I mean, uh, watch some of the videos on YouTube where they get stuck in a ditch and the farmer gets them out and then they run off and go right back into the exact same hole they just got out of. I mean, they're not smart creatures. They require constant attention constant care one of the things i loved about traveling to romania when we went out to the countryside and the hillside and the mountains we would see shepherds watching over their flocks by night and one day as the the, the thunderstorms was were rolling in i'm sitting here going they need to get those things inside all the while i'm thinking there is no inside this is their life. This is where they stay. They go and they find an area and the, the sheep will lay down. But folks, the reality is the harsh winters, they're outside. The, the pouring rain, they're outside. The, the scorching hot summers, they're outside. And they're, they're dumb creatures. They require constant uh, leadership and care. But he saw them as helpless. 
He saw them as spiritually battered and bruised. I wonder this morning, how do we view the lost of our city? How do we view the lost of the triangle that don't know Christ? Until we are moved with compassion, church, we will never take risks to help make disciples at home and around the world. We'll say, Pastor, you know, the reality is, is I've given God my best. I'm here. Really? That 10-minute drive that you had this morning in your air-conditioned car uh, where the seats were heated to take the chill off, you know, because it's a little chilly and uh, uh, early in the morning, and then you've got the air conditioner. and I mean, we drive around with the sunroof open and the air blasting on because we want to enjoy the best of all those worlds. Some of you have convertibles and you have the heat blasting and, and, and the top down on your car. And we worry about coming in and sitting on a chair for an hour and 15 minutes because, Pastor, it's, it's, it's a really long time and I can't sit that long. Well, really? I saw you at a, a football game and uh, the three and a half hours didn't seem to phase you. I mean, I love the people say, Pastor, I don't like to come to church because I don't like to get into crowds but I always running to them at Costco on a Saturday afternoon. I went to Costco yesterday twice, and I, I parked on the outer perimeter of the parking lot because every single spot was full, and I always run into those people who say they don't come to church because they don't like a crowd. They don't go on Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. with the senior citizen discount. No, they're there on Saturday afternoon when every person in Southern Wake County is in there. Uh, when they wouldn't come to church during COVID, I saw them at Walmart. That's what happens. And we're so worried about every little thing in our world being so perfect. Folks, if we don't have compassion on the loss of our city, we will never take risks. We'll never tithe. We'll never be faithful. We'll never go. We'll never sin. We'll never pray. We'll never take ground for the kingdom of God if we're not seeing the lost around us. We must see their condition. Jesus traveled to over 200 cities and villages, saw approximately 3 million people, and these were major crowds everywhere he went. He would often have to get on a boat and get away because the crowds that would gather around were so large. And he was moved by their diseases, by their sickness. He healed the, the woman with the issue of blood. He met the, the lady at, at the well, the woman at the well. He, he was healing blind people and, and Zacchaeus and all of these people. He was, it was raising people from the dead, healing demon-possessed people. But folks, most of all, he was moved by the condition of their hearts. Do we see the condition of our lost neighbors? But we also must feel their suffering. They were weary. They were worn out. They were pursuing the things of this world over the things of God. In church, every road that they, they went down was searching for success, for joy, for pleasure, led to a place of emptiness. What a refreshing blessing to hear Jesus say, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, the motive for missions is compassion of the saved. We must have compassion for our neighbors, for our city, for the world around us. For he says, we we will begin to be moved if we ever do anything. Folks, about the lost in our city, we must have compassion. We must have the compassion of the Father. And he goes on, secondly, he says, the time for harvest is now. Fall is one of my favorite times of the year. Is leaves are starting to change as you enter my neighborhood. There's just trees on both sides of, of the road, and they're starting just little bits and pieces. In fact, I drove by your house, uh, Kelly, yesterday. Across the street, there's a couple of trees that are starting to turn yellow, and it's like, it's beautiful. You see the, the beautiful colors, and uh, in a week, we were taking some of the senior adults in our church up to the mountains, and, and we're going to drive on the Blue Ridge Parkway and, and see the beautiful leaves and the scenery and the, the beauty of God's creation. I love this time of year. Yesterday, we went to the farmer's market and got some, some mums, and, and we've got some pumpkins and things like that. And he said, I love the time of harvest. But he says in verse 37, Jesus changed the metaphor from shepherding to harvesting. Jesus didn't just see people with a great need. He saw people who ultimately faced God's judgment. He said to the disciples in verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What Christ is referring to in the harvest is the coming judgment of the Lord. He says, one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will proclaim, Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what happens is every person is going to face the judgment of God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, the second part of verse 7, it says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know, do not obey the gospel, or do, me, do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. If, we're, if we aren't careful, we can easily lose sight of the inevitability of God's judgment. Every single one of us, when the church loses sight of that, we cease to be a church on mission to make disciples of Jesus. I alluded to this last week. Somehow, in many churches around our our city, people have got more concerned about the color of the carpet, the color of the wall, where the pulpit sits. And I told you I have a book that says, Who Moved My Pulpit? You know, it's like you you, you move the piano from one side. Uh, We can move this over to this side next Sunday. Do you know what, in light of eternity... It's not going to change a single thing. But there are churches, if you move the piano to the other side or or put drums on the stage or someone's playing a guitar or the pastor's not wearing a a, a three-piece suit, somehow they're going to have a stroke and, and the whole church will be erupting in chaos over the fact that such something is not perfect in their little ordered world. And meanwhile, the entire city around them is dying without Jesus. We can be so inward focused, we have no heart for the loss of our city and of our world. And Christ knew the tragedy and anguish of hell. 
He didn't want anyone to go there. In fact, he said in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. We might be reminded of this with our impatientness, or with our unwillingness to wait on God. But he says, he says we're slow, we're worried, but he's not, he's not slow ever. He's impatient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Christ died for the sins of the entire world. When Jesus saw the crowds, he saw people who are searching for the truth of the gospel. He saw people hungry to fill that God-sized hole in their heart. He saw the urgency of the gospel. Don't delay to share the gospel with those around us in need. John 4.35 says, Do not you say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields that are white to harvest. This is one of the reasons we have to put on those cleats, strap them on, put on the jersey, get out into the fields because you will not see the urgency of the gospel if you don't go. Every single person who traveled on a mission trip this year saw with their own eyes. And I watched people say, I never cry. Just break down weeping, talking about what God showed them. How it changed their heart. How it changed their life. That's why we take a boots on the ground approach. Because each one of us need to see for ourselves what God is doing. And he says, the fields are white for harvest. I'll never forget the particular mission trip and Josh and Crystal were both on this trip as teenagers. So we traveled and went door to door, inviting people to church, sharing the good news of the gospel with Pastor Omar. And it, as many times as I, I told the teens, don't drink the water, <clears throat> Josh drank the water. And uh, he was in someone's house, and she went over and filled up a glass of water, and set it in front of him, and he did not want to offend her, and so he drank the water, and God protected him. But um, the, the moral of that story is, don't drink the water on these mission trips, but unless you, I tell you, you pop the, the cap on the top of that water bottle, but he drank the water, but God spared his life, and, and we're all good and, and better for it. But as we got to the end of that day, we had traveled all the way down these village streets to the very end at the bottom by the lake of Lake Managua. I looked up, that verse came to my mind. Lift up your head. Look on the fields. All of the tin that was on the roofs of these houses, just the, the glow of the sun on them, it made them look white. And all I could think of is, this is exactly what Christ is saying. He says, lift up your heads. Look on the field. They're white unto harvest. Church, if we'll just open our eyes, we'll see God has an entire world out there. He wants us to reach with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it possible to pray for the salvation of lost and see their hearts and lives change? Absolutely. My granddad, we prayed for my entire life growing up. And for 35 years or so, we, our family prayed 
God, would you speak to his heart? Would you change his heart? Would you help him to see his needs? Say, well, he didn't grow to church. He didn't grow up in church. He actually did. He went every Sunday. He served faithfully in his church year after year after year. But somehow, the gospel that was in his head never penetrated his heart. He never understood that what Jesus did on the cross and dying and rising again was for him. He did it to save him from his sin and to restore his relationship with God the Father. Folks, he was 91 years old in a nursing home right here in Raleigh, getting ready to die when he finally confessed his sins and gave his heart and life to Jesus. You know what? The rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who comes to repentance I was telling that a couple just the other day. I was like, there's, there's a, a party going on as people are, the, the heaven, angels of heaven are rejoicing over people getting saved. And, and I can only imagine that day, 91, folks, don't give up on that lost loved one, that friend, that family member you've been praying for. God is still at work. He's still transforming lives. Don't give up on all the time for harvest is now. But we see lastly the prayer of the church in verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Look around the building this morning. Each one of these flags represents millions of people who need the gospel of Jesus. Untold millions who need to hear that Christ loves them, that he died for their sins. He desires to forgive them and come into their lives and be their Lord and Savior Someone must tell them. Someone must have compassion on them. In light of the harvest, Jesus calls us to pray. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord that he would send out laborers into his harvest. You know what happens when you and I begin to pray that God would send out laborers? You better get that passport. You better get ready. Because you don't pray prayers like that and then nothing happens. When we pray like that, God begins to tug at the heartstrings of our hearts. Notice he didn't say, here's the harvest, now go. He could have said that. And, and that's how the American mind works. Like, we got to do it right now. Let's get on it. He says, no, here's the harvest. Now pray. Now pray. He eventually gets to the go part, but for now, that's not until chapter 28. But he's, he challenges us to pray. The church must pray for laborers to reap the, in the white harvest fields in our city and around the world. We ought to be praying for God to raise up people from this church that will go and reach our city. People from this church that will go and reach our state. That will go and reach others around the United States and ultimately around the harvest fields of the world. The church ought to be sending out large groups of laborers into the harvest field to reap the harvest. Say, Pastor, what's the application? In June of this year, our church sent laborers into the harvest fields of Nicaragua. Right here. These are people that sit right here in this room going out into the labor to labor in the fields of harvest. In Nicaragua. What we got to experience was seeing lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This church, uh, Bible Baptist Church of Madagalpa, our church helped plant that five years ago. 
Last year they planted another mission church. We got to be a part of that. They're getting ready to start building a building for that church family. We had an opportunity to do that. We ought to be praying for God to raise up more laborers for the mission field. Next summer, our student ministry is planning a trip to take high school and college-age kids to Nicaragua. Pray right now for laborers for the harvest. Pray for laborers for the harvest. In August of this year, our church sent out a team to Romania. This team that was on this stage left and went and shared with Ukrainian refugees, with gypsies, with Romanian people, that Jesus Christ loves them. And here's, we're in a school right here. Every single one of these kids were so excited as we sang, come into the house of the Lord. We were singing, we had those hand motions down and boy, those kids were having a blast. This team went and traveled around the world to share that Jesus Christ loves them. He desires to have a relationship with them. Yeah, we didn't get to the Eiffel Tower. But folks, that was during a, a, a pit stop on our journey traveling. We had an eight-hour layover. I said, hey, you guys want to go to the Eiffel Tower? That wasn't part of our plan, but it worked out. In fact, the tailwinds of the plane, we got there an hour and 15 minutes early. And so I, I looked at Justin and was like, y'all want to go? And like, we're game. We had no earthly idea. We got so lost. We, we couldn't find, find the signs and everything was crazy. But we got there. We had lunch under the, the, the shadow of the Eiffel Tower. We got back on the subway, went back. But you know what? The point of that trip was that God would allow us to see the harvest field of Romania in Eastern Europe. An area that was so cold and and dark people that don't know Jesus Christ personally we served alongside of Pastor Elijah and, and Claudia Morar and it was their first time doing a vacation Bible school church God filled up that building with kids he allowed us to see kids come to faith in Jesus Christ and one of the little girls a Ukrainian girl that was there that got saved she wrote the, the sweetest card telling us how much she loved us and thanked us for coming. And you know what? While they were there, Pastor Elijah, he's a smart man. He, I'm standing up on the stage. I've just preached the Sunday morning service. And he says, so we're inviting your church to come back next summer for year number two of EBS. So tell us, Pastor David, will you come? <laughs> And I'm sitting here going, well, it's not the, the conventional way to do that is we'll sit down and work out arrangements and stuff like that. And I was like, if God wants us here and you want us here, we'll get a team here next summer. For the second annual Vacation Bible School at Rock of Ages Church. And what happens is pray for labors for that harvest in Romania. We helped plant that church in, I think it was 2018, 2019, right before the pandemic. They didn't meet in person for over a year in a brand new church plant. They got to do a work in their lives. In fact, the week after we were there, they were in one of the big city squares and they have a couple of inflatable bounce houses and they set them up and 
they play, played Christian music and they invited kids to come play and they shared Bible stories. Then we gave them uh, uh, the cards to show the, the, the cards and share stories of the gospel with the kids from our church. And folks, God was doing a mighty work and they faced opposition. That one guy threatened to, to beat Pastor Elijah up and the cops had to step in. But folks, the reality is, is they're doing the work of the ministry in the foreign mission field. When you pray for God to send out laborers, you better go make an appointment to get your passport because you're going to need it. But you better prepare your heart for God to move forward to accomplish what he's calling us to do. Will you join together and pray for the Lord to send forth laborers into his harvest? So on October 9th, Monday, not, this, not tomorrow, but the next Monday, our elementary kids, Ms. Taylor's taking them to serve at With Love from Jesus. It's a holiday for, uh, I think, traditional and track four kids. They're going to go pray for God to raise up laborers for that team that's going to go serve. On November 3rd through 5th, Chad and, and uh, Steve Garcelander are going to be leading a team to New Bern to do disaster relief with baptismal mission to help rebuild from Hurricane Florence. Do you even remember that? that? That seemed like so long ago. But they're still rebuilding homes and pointing people to the fact that Jesus Christ loves them. He hasn't forgotten them. He hasn't abandoned them. Pray that God would raise up a group of laborers, physical laborers in that sense, to go and help rebuild houses, there, you can sign up for that through the church app. December 8th through the 9th, we have a team going to, on Operation Christmas Child to the Processing Center. I know you're excited about that. And folks, Miss Holly, I, it, it's awesome. And if you've never been, it is one of the greatest times of seeing the hands and feet of Jesus. As you go in all of these millions of shoeboxes that have been packed at that point all over the whole United States come into these processing centers and you go through and make sure that everything is safe and secure. It's the, the right to, there's not things in there, there's not toy guns in there, can't have that going to a war torn country. But the, all the things, making sure they have what they need, hygiene items and things, and they pack them on huge pallets. And you'll, as you're packing, you're like, this one is going to Kenya, this one's going to Zimbabwe. This one's going to Guyana. This one's going to Nicaragua. And you get to cheer as, as your team. And folks, you'll hear testimonies of people who've been, their lives, they received a box 20 years ago in a, a country where there was no hope and there was no, there was no. And they received the gift of eternal life. Pray for labors in God's harvest in the triangle, in the world, and pray that God would transform our hearts to what he wants to do through us to reach our city and the world. Heavenly Father, would you do a mighty work this morning?